Brothers and sisters, if you turn in your copy of God's Word now to Proverbs, we'll continue our study there tonight. In chapter 3, I think it's on page 627 of your pew Bibles. And we're at verse 27 tonight as we've been working our way through this particular chapter. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word, Proverbs chapter 3, beginning at verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your, in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Thus far in the reading of God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, as we now come back to Proverbs, to this wisdom literature. We pray, Father, again, that you'd add your blessing to the reading of your word. We pray, Father, that you'd open our hearts tonight. Lord, it has been a, a long day. Many of us are tired and weary. We ask, Father, that you'd give us spiritual strength tonight to be able to hear as your word is opened. And not merely here, Father, but by your Spirit, you would plant your word deeply within our hearts. Help us now as we see the practical application of knowing your knowledge and your understanding worked out here and in through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may remember... As David becomes king in Israel, he sins against God in a significant way. As king, he was on his rooftop, and as he looked out upon his kingdom, he sees a woman bathing and desires to have her, brings her into his home, and as the scripture tells us, he lay with her committing adultery, sinning against God. But that's not where David's sin ends. He actually now planned sin against this woman's husband. His name was Uriah. David had failed to remember and apply the knowledge and understanding that God had blessed him with. Indeed, as he continues his scheme and has Uriah the Hittite killed and then takes Bathsheba, the woman whom he committed adultery with, into his own household, it took Nathan the prophet to come to David and give him a story to open David's mind. And as Nathan gives him the story about the poor man's lamb that was taken by the rich man to serve one who had come to him, David's anger burns greatly against this man, and he cry, cries out, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. 
David had not forgotten the knowledge, the understanding, the wisdom of God. He just failed to apply it to himself. That's exactly what we have tonight in the Proverbs. We remember that Solomon, King Solomon, wrote the majority of these Proverbs, that he had been given wisdom above all others, that God had poured out upon this one wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Tonight we see that as Solomon has now described wisdom, as he has given us the value of God's wisdom and knowledge and understanding, now he begins to tell us how to take that wisdom, that knowledge, that understanding, and now apply it to ourselves, how we are to live in this life. Tonight I want us to see that the Lord calls his followers to become peaceable givers to and blessers of their neighbors. The Lord calls his followers to become peaceable givers to and blessers of their neighbors. I'll see it on three points tonight. First, preparing to give. Secondly, planning to bless. And then finally, pursuing peace. This is an important passage for us tonight. We can have lots of wisdom. We can have lots of knowledge. We can have lots of biblical knowledge. But if we don't apply it to ourselves, then like James, what good is our faith if we don't actually apply that which the Lord has given to us in our daily lives? Well, first, preparing to give. You might be asking yourselves, why are these verses grouped together? Why have we taken them up? This verses 27 through 30, what's their relationship to one another? Well, first, very simply, they follow Last week's teaching on wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Remember last week we read, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, who gets understanding. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. That was the call last week. And now this week, as I've already indicated, now Solomon tells us how to take that wisdom that we have found, that understanding that we've been given, and now to use it. How to live, so to speak. How do we apply this knowledge, this understanding that we've been seeking, that we've gained? Solomon doesn't leave us with our hands in the air wondering what to do with these things now. This divine wisdom, this knowledge and understanding is applied to our hearts through these verses. Next week we'll be doing the same thing, but this is the first section of that application. He gives it to us in and through his word. He's telling us this is how to use that knowledge, that wisdom, and that understanding in your daily life. Indeed, if you've found wisdom, if you've gained understanding, if you've set your heart upon the knowledge of God, his wisdom, his discretion, this is how you should use it. A few points of practical application. Do not withhold good. Do not plan evil. Do not contend with others. Well, we see initially that there's a problem, don't we? Solomon confronts us with a problem as we consider how these verses begin. Each one of them in the English versions that we have, do not. Do not withhold good. Do not say. Do not plan. Do not devise. Do not contend. All of these do nots tell us something 
as in other passages of Scripture, the inspired writer King Solomon was stating, he was proclaiming that his readers, each and every one of them, including us tonight, we have a problem. We need to be told. We need to be instructed. We need to be led away from doing these things which he identifies. Because we are those who are inclined to withhold good. We're those who plan evil at times. We're those who contend with others. Solomon was writing to us as if he was writing to his son. And Solomon knew the nature of his son because he knew his own nature and he knew that he had passed on his sinful nature along to his son, so he knew. Solomon was writing to himself. And now he's writing to his son because he knows himself, he knows his son, and because he knows his son and he knows himself, he knows us. All are corrupt. Scripture confirms that. In Genesis 6, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. After the flood, nothing had changed. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. In Psalm 14, we read so very clearly, they, meaning all men, women, and children, are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. Jesus Christ, as he's teaching his elders, teaching his disciples, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. This is our estate. This is who we are in Adam. Our corrupt, blackened hearts have been received from our first parents. And so we are naturally inclined through Adam, through Eve, to withhold good. We are naturally inclined to plan evil. We're naturally inclined to contend with others. Every man, woman, and child descending from Adam and Eve by natural descent is not naturally inclined to do good, not naturally inclined to plan good, not naturally inclined to pursue peace and restrain him or herself from contending with others. And so we see the father figure in Solomon must counsel his children knowing their corrupt hearts. So we read of the negative. Do not, do not, do not, which leads us then to the positive, doesn't it? Well, first, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. In other words, if you have it, give it now. Two qualifications to this, which we need to acknowledge. These two verses, verses 27 and 28, seem to be in parallel. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. They're saying nearly the same thing, but with slightly in a slightly different way. So the reader would have the point well taken, a well-driven nail, so to speak. When it is in your power to do it, when you have it with you. That's the first point. If you possess it, if you have it within your power to give, do so. The Lord has given you good things. 
He's given you things into your hand. The God of creation has blessed you. He's made you steward over good things, whatever that thing is. It may be bread. It may be money. It may be a warm coat. It may not even be something physical. Whatever it is that the Lord God has given to you and that you have in your possession, you control it as far as you can control any material thing. That's the qualification. If this has happened, if you've become the steward of some material good thing, as all things belong to God, that means that you're not really the owner. That He's given it to you for a time to keep as He wills, as He plans, as He has purposed. It seems to be the key point. And that this is part of the knowledge, the understanding that God has given, that you've sought out. It's part of divine knowledge, that God owns everything. The earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it, Psalm 24. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle, a thousand hills. The psalmist there is merely using one aspect of the creation to say God, God owns everything. This is the connection to knowledge and understanding that you're called to find and keep and now to apply. That you grasp this idea, this concept that, that you really own nothing. That God owns everything. He's given you what you have for a time, for a purpose to be steward over. That's first. And the second is that something is owed to another. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Now that can be a very broad precept, but we have to dig into it just a little bit. We see this precept being applied in the employment circumstance, don't we, in Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. In Deuteronomy, Moses again touches upon the same subject. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it. You have it in your possession. You've hired this one. He's done the work for you. Now, give him what is his due. We can see that very clearly in the employment context. The practicality of immediately giving over that which is owed because this one needs it and, and you've already told him that you would. It's that application of the knowledge of God again, knowing his will. In this case, which is based upon his ownership, his authority. The ownership that you have of anything is derivative. It comes from God. It's subordinate to His ownership. Indeed, even your will is subordinate to His. So how do you do this? How do you keep this command? How do you apply God's wisdom and understanding and knowledge? We see that this precept applies to more than an employment contract or context. In Romans chapter 13, we read, Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect 
to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Paul here went beyond material things. He wrote of respect and honor. And now we see how this general precept, this general concept, this general application of wisdom and understanding of God is knowledge is broad. How do you do this? Well, one thing I think we must be doing is preparing our mind and heart to give and to give quickly and to give in due time. When that thing which you have possession of, whether it's bread or whether it's the ability to give respect and honor, when that thing is owed, the Lord is calling us to give it quickly, to release our grip on it, and to bless one with it. See, our hearts tend to delay our actions, don't they? We tend to want to keep things for ourselves. Think of Ananias and Sapphira. During the apostle, apostolic church, the church was selling their possessions and giving the money, the proceeds to the church, so the church could give to those in need. And Ananias and Sapphira come and they sell a piece of property and they give the proceeds, so to speak, to the church. But they lie and they keep back a portion for themselves. You see, in order to give according to the will of God, you must prepare your heart. They hadn't prepared their hearts. They hadn't loosened their grip when we're speaking of material things, even when we're speaking of respect and honor, you must hold everything very loosely that the Lord gives to you. That takes preparation. And part of that preparation, and probably the most important part of that preparation, is prayer. It demands a, a setting your heart not upon the things of this world, not upon your pride, not upon yourself, but upon the things above. And this takes the work of the Spirit. You must ask that the Spirit would allow you to release your grip, your tightly held grip on the things of this world so that you can be ready to give. You must ask the Spirit to cast off your pride and envy and covetousness when it comes to giving honor and reverence to another. It's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. We never see Him holding tightly to anything in this world. Nothing. We always read of Jesus being ready to give honor and reverence to his Father, longing to be in communion with him, taking his time to revere his Father, and then submitting himself to his Father's will. It's exactly what Christ did. Brothers and sisters, we have to be in prayer that we would be prepared to give. Immediately, when the opportunity presents itself, that we've already prepared to give those good things. That brings us to our second point, planning, planning to bless. Look at verse 29. 
Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Again, this is presented by Solomon in the negative. Do not plan evil. Again, he knew his own heart, and as a result, he knew the hearts of his son, and he knew the hearts of his people. And so the positive command would be something like this. Plan to bless your neighbor. Each of these that we see tonight are really particular subsets or subpoints under that general umbrella. Love your neighbor as yourself. Plan blessings. Paul in Romans 12 really expands this call to plan blessings as he writes to that church, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Live in harmony. Do not be haughty. Never be wise in your own sight. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Paul instructs his readers here even to feed your enemy. That's the extent to which Paul said we should be going to bless those around us. If you're feeding your enemy, then what kindness are you showing to the neighbor who's trusting you? Have you ever thought about that? Paul calls us to go to the extreme. Jesus Christ calls us to go to the extreme to love our enemies. So what kindness are we showing to those who don't fall into that category, at least in our minds? So the first step seems to be plan to be humble. Ask the Spirit to humble your heart. Indeed, you can't begin to bless anyone with a haughty heart. You can't serve anyone. You can't plan to serve anyone with a prideful heart. It can't be done sincerely. It might be done insincerely, but people know. Ask the Spirit to remove from you the haughtiness that remains in your heart, and then He'd replace it with humility, a true desire to love others. And then, as the haughtiness, as the pridefulness is being removed by the Spirit now, now you can plan to bless. Now you can plan to uphold the needs of your neighbor. You can plan to bless your neighbor with not only his needs or her needs, but with the unexpected, even undeserved goodness, because none of us deserve goodness. And this takes planning. For once again, this kind of kindness is not natural to our corrupt, self-serving natures. We tend, we tend toward being contentious. We tend toward 
living without interacting with our neighbors. We tend to keep our good things to ourselves. We tend to think of ourselves first. We tend to make sure that our needs are met and will be met. When was the last time you planned to bless your neighbor? When was the last time, without any urgent need in sight, without any specific request, that you merely plan to do something kind for the one who lives on your right or your left? That takes thought. It takes getting your mind off of yourself and thinking about those who live next to me. It takes, takes a heart which says, I, I want to show Christ to my neighbors. Because as Christ served me, he knew that I didn't deserve it. As Christ served me, he, I was his enemy. When Christ went to the cross, I was spitting upon him. I was saying, I don't want you. I don't need you. And that's the time that, that he went to the cross. So when was the last time that you actually planned an act of kindness for your neighbor who I don't think is actually hating you right now? A plan takes purposeful effort on our part. It takes prayer that the Spirit would make us desirous and effective and diligent. Thinking of David again, when he was being hunted down by Saul, he sent his men to go and get food from Nabal. Nabal was one who owned many sheep, and David's men had been protecting Nabal's shepherds and his sheep. And so David is thinking as, as Nabal's sheep are being sheared, this is a time of a festival, time of a feast, and he's saying, I'll just go send my men and get some food. And he does so, and Nabal refuses and sends David's men away empty-handed. You might also remember Abigail, Nabal's wife. As she hears of her husband's rejection of David's men, what does she do? She plans. She plans quickly. She gets her servants together and they prepare five sheep, five sheaves of parched grain, hundreds of clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs. She lays them on donkeys and she goes to meet David who's on his way down to slaughter Nabal and his whole household. She planned. She prepared. Quickly. Now, there's some self-serving aspect in that because uh, David's coming to wipe out her household. But she's coming to bless David because she also knows that David is about to commit a grievous sin against his God. And she also has this inclination that David's going to be king. And so she comes and blesses David, gives him what he was seeking. So now he stops. He puts his sword back. He doesn't commit that heinous crime that he was about to do. And Abigail humbles herself before David. She hurries. She falls down before David. She prostrates herself. She provides that what she's looking for. She blesses him. She planned it. That's the call for us tonight. Bless our neighbors. Plan to bless them.
Think about it. Prepare for it. And then act upon it. This verse does not end there, actually. Do not plan evil against your neighbor. It ends with who dwells trustingly beside you. This passage actually presents a a probing question to each of us tonight. And it asks us, does your neighbor who lives next to you, do they actually dwell trustingly beside you? That question should prick our hearts tonight. As many of us probably are likely answering one of two ways. First, I don't know. And secondly, I don't know my neighbor. Either way, there is work to be done. We should know our neighbors. How can we bless them? How can we plan to bless our neighbors if we don't know them? And we should know if they trust us. We should be working to earn their trust. Trustingly here seemingly means that your neighbor lives without fear. Fear of your doing them harm. And in order for our neighbors to feel that way, they need to know you. Our neighbors need to know that we serve a master who is Jesus Christ, Lord of all. That that's on our hearts, and that's why we want to know them, and that's why we want to bless them, because Jesus Christ has blessed us. They need to know that. Do they? They need to know that we want to love them because Christ has loved us and we want to share His love with them. Brothers and sisters, we have work to do. Let us be about that work and ensuring that our neighbors live trustingly next to us. It brings us to our third point, pursuing peace. Look for a moment at verse 30. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. This word contend can take on many meanings. It can be something that is involved in a court of law, but I think here it it means something very plain and very simple. To contend means, as far as the Hebrew lexicon is concerned, to strive and to struggle. That's the idea. I think the idea is really encapsulated as the people of God, as Israel, contended with Moses. As they come out of Egypt, that they've been rescued from the fiery furnace, if the chains have been broken, they're no longer slaves. As they pass through the Red Sea after the ten plagues have been poured out upon Egypt and the land has been decimated, and they enter into the wilderness, what happens? The people quarrel with Moses. Give us water to drink. Why do you quarrel with me, Moses said. Why do you test the Lord? You might think that the people had reason to quarrel because they didn't have water, but there was actually no reason to contest with Moses or with the Lord. Moses even asked that question, why do you quarrel? 
Why do you test the Lord? The people had failed to trust in the living God who had brought them up out of Egypt, who had poured out the ten plagues upon, upon that country, upon Pharaoh, who had brought them to the, the Red Sea. They had short memories. The people were refusing to submit themselves to the very will of the Lord, and so they were quarreling, they were contending without reason. No one had done them any harm. They failed to wait upon the Lord. They failed to remember His goodness. We might think that this passage tonight is caught up in the broad precept, vengeance is mine and recompense. The Lord will vindicate his people, but there is nothing about vengeance in this passage. It's not the case where the Lord brings vengeance. No, in this case, the man has done you no harm. This is not a case of being abused or harmed. No, this is, precept is very simple. Do not contend. Why do we contend? Again, we're the sons of, of Adam. Solomon knows us. Why do we quarrel? We need to confess that men do contend with one another. We see it even, even tonight as we think upon the war that's just broken out in Israel. We need to confess that even if we don't contend outwardly, we contend inwardly. The Israelites quarreling against Moses, their verbal attacks on Moses, were not merely with their mouths. That struggling, that striving began in their hearts and it began against God. It was only when they were unable to restrain their inward contention that their heartfelt contentions erupted in speech against Moses. We do the same thing. We contend inwardly, if not also outwardly, because we are not getting our way. It sounds childish, but that's the root of our contentions, our strivings. Our wills are not being done and we complain. We strive against those who may stand in the way of our wills being accomplished to our satisfaction. We want them, all the opposition, removed out of our way. And so we contend. In the end, to contend against someone for no reason when he or she has done us no harm is to refuse to submit to the will of God, isn't it? God's will is always being done in each and every circumstance that we find ourselves in. Is that not the knowledge we miss when we contend? Is that not the understanding that we fail to remember and, and bring back into our hearts when we contend against someone without reason, when they've done us no harm? We are failing to apply the knowledge and understanding of God. He is sovereign. His will is being done always. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, God from all eternity did by His most wise and holy counsel out of His own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Isn't it interesting that we pray for this? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is certainly the example of Jesus Christ. For the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This passage, do not contend, is calling you tonight to submit. It's only when you submit your will to God that you will be enabled by the Spirit to stop your striving, 
to stop your contending against your neighbor because you're doing it. That's the negative side of the coin. The positive side of the coin is, might read like this, live at peace. Be harmonious with your neighbor. Again, it's only when you submit the, to the will of God that you can, by the work of the Spirit, live at peace with your neighbors. That's the positive side of this call. Do not contend. Be harmonious. We see that throughout Scripture. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another, Mark 9. Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 2 Corinthians 13, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. And the God of peace and love will be with you. You see, living in peace or being in harmony is a reflection of the Christian's relationship through Christ with God. Isn't that what we're called to be, a light? A light shining forth, a reflection of Christ. Jesus Christ has brought about peace through His blood on the cross. Through his atoning sacrifice, he suffered, he satisfied the wrath of God. He's brought about peace for all those who trust in, Christ, in God, in Christ Jesus. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians chapter 1. And if you tonight cross trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are called to reflect that peace, the peace that you now have with God through Christ Jesus in your relationship to the world. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Let me say that again. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He is not a creation that is designed and intended to contend with your neighbor. Not a new creation that is designed and intended in purpose to strive against your neighbor. No, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5. We've been brought near to God through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. See, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you understand what that means? That Jesus Christ has done the reconciling. He's brought us together with his Father. Indeed, he's, he's brought about our peace with one another. And so we're ambassadors for Christ. There's no reason to be contentious. We have no reason to strive against our neighbors. The Christian, the follower of Christ, has every reason to reflect the peace of his or her Savior to those who live to our right or to our left.
There's no reason to strive or quarrel with our neighbor who has done us no harm. If you're in Christ tonight, the call is to look like it, to act like it, to feel like it within your heart. Think upon this, meditate upon this tonight, that Jesus Christ died so that you could do this. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the will of his Father. He went to the cross. He, he shed his blood. He allowed his body to be broken so that you could live in peace, live in harmony with his Father and also with your neighbors. So the call tonight is that Christ died so that you could show your submissive heart the heart of Jesus to your neighbors. Just remember, just for a moment, the apostolic church, because they lived out this passage. They strove after peace and harmony and unity. All who believed were together and had all things in common. So much so that they were selling the things that they had and, and giving to everyone as they had need. They had everything in common. Luke thought that was so important, he wrote it twice. They had everything in common. They knew that Christ loved them. And so they were at peace with one another. And because of the peace they shared with one another, those who were outside the church were looking in and saying, wow, they've got something we don't have. And we want it. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Jesus died so that you can do this. So that we could be a light shining forth to our neighbors and they would be looking at us and they would be saying, these people live in peace. These people live in harmony. And they love us. This is the means, one means that the Lord uses to build his church. We have to ask ourselves tonight if we're living this way. And if we're not, we need to be asking the Spirit change us that we would live this way the Lord does call his followers to become peaceable givers to and blessers of their neighbors David did withhold good he did plan evil he did contend with Uriah but the Lord was kind and showed him his heart and drew him even closer to Christ after that event in his life. Praise be to God. He can do the same for us. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We praise you for this passage tonight. Father, you've brought so much to our minds. You've brought so much to our hearts. Now we ask, Lord God, by and through your spirit, apply it. Take these words, your words, your precious words, by and through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray, Father, plant them deeply within us and cause us to live in accordance with them. 
We know, Lord God, that we cannot earn your favor. We know that Christ has done that, but, Father, you call us to live in a particular way, and we thank you for this practical application of your understanding, your knowledge, and your wisdom. And we pray, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to live in such a way that our neighbors see the peace and the joy that is within us and that they would be wooed to Christ Jesus. We ask all this in his precious name. Amen.